what you've done. We know what's changed in me. And Jesus, we praise your name. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here among us this morning. What it is to praise you, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. How good is it to praise God? To know the reality of who Jesus is and to articulate a response of praise that comes from the heart. That's what I love about church. That's what I love about our church. And I'm so excited to be here this morning. And I hope you feel that sense of God's presence in your bones, in your soul this morning. You can give someone a high five and you can sit down. So cool to be here. Now, you're going to have to bear with me just for a moment. I've got one of those new iPads that has to look at your face. <laughs> yeah, you happy with that face? Good, good, good. You know, it's, uh, it's, great. it's great to be here. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name's Phil. I'm part of the team here at True North, and I love this place. I love what we're about together, and I love the center of who we are, which is Jesus. And this morning, I want to speak into the place of the soul. I want to speak into finding clarity in the place of the soul. You know, last Monday we had a, we had a public holiday. Anyone remember that? Anyone do anything cool? We went for a... can't remember. It was a week ago, right? I, I, I can't remember a week ago. Anyway, a friend of mine invited me to go out snorkeling. Any snorkeling fans here? Love getting in the water, having a paddle, see some fish and whatnot. And I said, yeah, cool, let's go snorkeling. So I went to the, the Marmion Angling Club where there is now a snorkeling trail. Anyone been on a snorkeling trail before? You're like, what is a snorkeling trail? Well, here's what it is. They have a buoy that set out about 20 meters off the shore, and you swim out to the buoy. And then at the bottom of the water, there's a plaque that will have on it like an interesting picture and some kind of, you know, did you know there are 7,000 different kinds of marine life on this reef? And you're like, wow, that is really interesting. But, of course, when you're snorkeling to your friend, you're just like... And so we swam out. And then what you have on that first plaque, you have a direction and a distance. So it says, swim 30 meters in this direction, you get to the next plaque. So, so we followed that and we swam to the next plaque. Now, at this point, we're about 50 meters, maybe 60 meters away from the beach. Now, if you're the kind of person that has any anxiety about sharks... This is about the distance where that starts kicking in. You like you look back at the beach, you're like, I'm a I'm a long way from the beach. I'm in I'm in a shark arena of life right now. And you start to carry that shark-related tension. And then we swam out and we found the next park, and it was a bit deeper, so you actually had to duck dive a little bit to get down to this thing. And what do they have on that second park? <laughs> a picture of a shark. I'm like, you guys are killing me right now. I'm at that depth where shark-related fear and scenario starts creeping into the mind. And Phil, just so you know, there are sharks sharing this water with you. Fantastic. Let's keep snorkeling. And we continue snorkeling. We end up having a great time despite my perhaps undue fear of sharks. But there's one key factor whenever you go snorkeling that's going to determine whether you have a good experience or a bad experience. Can anyone guess what it is? Sharks, sharks is a problem. If you see a shark, you might have a bad oxygen. I hear oxygen. Also crucial, if there's a snorkel malfunction, that's not good. Anyone else? Did I hear clarity of water? 
I didn't just make that up. Someone said that. And in the, 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 the snorkel world, you sometimes call it visibility or your ability to clearly see what's actually going on down there. Because sometimes when you go snorkeling, you can kind of just see your hand in front of you when you're swimming. And when it's that kind of clarity, it doesn't matter what's going on beneath the water. It doesn't matter how many fish there are. It doesn't matter how much color and life and beauty is present on the reef. It doesn't matter how many cool swim-throughs there are to have a bit of adventure and go through a tunnel. Does anyone like doing that when you go snorkeling? I, I actually love it. It's this like perfect balance of risk and reward. I, I don't know exactly what the reward is, but it makes me feel alive. So I love doing that. But it doesn't matter how much great stuff there is under the water. If there's an absence of clarity, our ability to, our ability to engage with it is lost. So if you can't see what's there, there isn't clarity. You can't experience all the beauty. You know, I believe that God has beauty, color, life, and adventure for each of our lives. But sometimes there's an absence of clarity within the soul, so we can't experience it and engage with it. So this morning, I want to speak into this idea of finding clarity in the soul. You know, clarity for each one of us, it's something that, that's actually quite important. It's actually something that we all value, whether we readily articulate it or not, because we can all think of an experience where we've been given an expectation without clarity. So maybe you've got an assignment at school, maybe you're doing a project at work, and there's an expectation and a deadline, but have you ever had that experience where you have an expectation and a deadline, but no idea what you're supposed to be doing? Right? Is that anxiety fuel for anyone else? That's an absence of clarity that's causing discomfort. And what happens is when we're given a direction and we lack clarity, we're not able to go in that direction for very long. And it's a frustration for us whenever we find ourselves in a scenario where there is an absence of clarity. It forms a blockage. So for me, when I think about my journey of faith with Jesus, I want to make sure there's clarity there because I don't want to miss out on any of the color, beauty, and adventure that God has for my life. So clarity is something that matters. It's something that matters for us mentally. It's something that matters for us physically. It's something that matters for us emotionally. And it's something that matters for us spiritually. But for some reason, that spiritual clarity in the place of the soul is something that's sometimes harder to take hold of. Maybe it's because there's less of an existing framework in our minds for what it looks like. Maybe it's because it's less celebrated in the world around us. I don't know. But I want to simplify this to something in my own experience of reflecting on my soul. The clarity of the soul, I think, can come from three places. The first is knowing ourselves. Knowing ourselves in a deep way, beneath the murky waters of our own souls, to know who we are. That if we want clarity in the soul... We need to have a deeper understanding of who we actually are. But then it's more than that because the soul is the part of us that we were created with to experience the fullness of who God is. So clarity of the soul not only comes from knowing who I am, reflecting on who I am, but knowing who God is, knowing what the presence of God does in the arena of my soul. And then as a, an overflow from that, knowing how my story connects with his. This is a, an idea and a phrase that we talk about sometimes at True North, that my story, that my journey actually has points of connection with God's story and who God is. So we're going to use this as a, a framework for this, for this morning, for developing clarity in the soul. But I want to begin us with, with this question even now as you begin taking your heart and mind in this direction. 
right now this morning, is there an absence of clarity in your own soul? Maybe in one of those three arenas that I talked about. Is there an absence of clarity in how I'm actually going? What's happening in my own heart? Is there an absence of clarity in what it means to know who God is? Or is there an absence of clarity about what that means for my life? How does my life connect with who God is? You hold that thought for just a moment as we continue to, to unpack this idea this morning. And as we do that, I, I want to take you to a, a really cool part of Scripture in the New Testament. There's a, one of our authors is a guy called Matthew, and he was a disciple that followed, uh, followed Jesus and, and lived his life with Jesus for a period of time. And Matthew went on to, to, to write a book and captured together all these great stories about who Jesus was and also his teaching. And there's this really important section towards the start of Matthew where, where he captures this, this moment in Jesus' life called the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you might have heard of that before, where, where Jesus in all these different arenas of life just drops these incredible truth bombs in all these different spaces. An awesome passage of Scripture. Check it out, Matthew chapter 5 and going on to 6. Awesome. And right in the middle of that, in chapter 6, Jesus is began, going to begin speaking about in verses 19 to 21. I'm not going to have it on the screen because I don't want, it, don't want it to distract us a little this morning. But Jesus begins talking about where our treasure is. And some of you might have heard this, and the, the idea it reads almost like a, a Chinese proverb. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He says, don't make your treasure things that don't last. He talks about things that, that rust destroys, that moths eat up, that thieves break in and steal. Don't place your treasure in those things. Place your treasure in heaven. Place your treasure in the things of who God is. Place your treasure, perhaps as a starting point, in the arena of your own soul. Not of what you're going to do, what you're going to achieve, but who you're becoming. Now, I love this idea because I think a lot of the way we talk trains us to think in terms of what we do rather than who we are. I wonder if you've ever, in a conversation with a younger person, maybe a, a high school student or a primary school student or a niece or nephew, you've said some variation of what do you want to do when you grow up? Anyone said that before? Come on, be honest. Yeah, you, you, Dean, you've said that. You've used that phrase. I've used that phrase lots of times. I love it. What do you want to do when you grow up? You know what might be a better question? Who do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a person that's kind? Do you want to be a person that lives with courage? Do you want to be a person that respects others? Do you want to be a person that's honest, that's truthful, to begin giving each other a framework of being rather than doing. And that comes from a focus on the soul. And this is what Jesus is alluding to in this passage of Scripture. Through the context of life lived with God, he says, change the framework of focus. I think that's what he's talking about with treasure, treasures of earth, material things versus treasures. He's saying, change the directional focus of your life. Because the directional focus is going to bring clarity or not. Now, let's hold on to that idea as we go into this next verse, which for, for whatever reason is just resonating in my own soul over the last uh, month or so in my life. And then in verse 22, Jesus says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Someone say, eye. 
the eye is the lamp of the body or the light of the body. Almost imagine like the, the torch for the direction of your life. And he says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. It's almost that, that arena of the soul. If there's health in the eyes, the soul will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then to, to, to drive that home, he says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So when we think about clarity in the soul and these two pictures of light or darkness in the soul, that the eyes have a symbolic role with that. And the role of the eyes is the directional focus of our life. Is the directional focus of our life producing light in our souls? Or is it creating murky waters in the soul? And this is where we have an opportunity to turn our attention inward. Say that knowing myself, having healthy eyes... Is this the ability to know myself, or at least a component of it? But perhaps it's not something that we love doing. Perhaps it's something that we're not particularly equipped to do well. To stop, to turn inward. So I want to know what's going on in the place of the soul. There's some hesitation to do that. Maybe it's because there, there's not enough things around us that stimulate that kind of action in our life. But I want to take away the things that we could blame that on. And I want to take responsibility for that in my own life. And say, why don't I choose to reflect on my soul? Not what can I blame? What about my world makes this hard to do? We could all do that for ages if we wanted to. But let's say, why don't I make this a priority in my life? You know, I think I've landed on something for me that I, that I hope will be a catalyst for thought in your own life as well. And to, to go back to that picture of snorkeling for a moment, that low visibility in the soul is preferable to high visibility that requires work, right? So if we, if we can keep the, the waters of our soul murky, we don't need to know. <laughs> there might be some bad stuff in there. There might be some good stuff in there. Either way, I don't really know. It's just kind of murky. And because it's murky, I don't have to engage or deal with it. But if we have true clarity as we look into our souls, we might find something that we have to engage with, that we have to work through. And if we want to know and live out of the, the beauty, the color, the adventure, the life that God has for us, sometimes we've got to lock eyes with something that's hard in our own soul. Yeah, I heard this, this great story, actually lots of great stories this week. Uh, some of you would know that, that an NBA legend, Kobe Bryant, passed away this last week along with eight other people. A really, really tragic story. But one of the really inspiring things has been the amount of stories that, that I've heard, read, seen, where, where Kobe's had an influence on the lives of others. And there was this one in particular that, that resonated in my mind as I, as I saw it. And there was the story of a, a young high school basketball player. She was a part of Kobe's Basketball Academy, which would have been an amazing experience, I'm sure. And, and in fact, she was one of the, the greatest prospects in, in high school basketball. And there was a particular tournament where, where everything just went wrong for her. A any athletes here this morning? Any sporting people that might have been in a different season of life or currently? And, and sport's amazing. It's so much fun. But every now and again, you have a game where you just make every decision wrong. Right? You, you choose the wrong shot, you 
you have a mental lapse in the defensive end. And she had one of those kind of games. And she felt terrible about herself. She was toted as being this, this amazing athlete that they were going to win this tournament easily. And she played the worst game of her life and lost the whole thing. And, and it was really difficult for her to deal with. Eventually, Kobe made contact with her. And the, as she's telling the story, the first thing that he asked is, have you watched the film? She's like, what do you mean, watch the film? He said, have you gone back and watched that game and looked at the mistakes? Look at the decisions that could have been made differently. Have you watched the film? She was like, no, I don't want to watch the film. That was like the worst game I played. I, I don't even want to think about that shot that I took with three defenders closing out on me. I don't want to think about that lapse in concentration where I didn't close out on that three-point shoot. Kobe, this was the worst game I played. I don't want to relive it. And then she, she recounts how the next thing Kobe said was simply this. She said, you've got to do the hard stuff too. If you want to be great, you've got to do the hard stuff, which I thought was interesting because he was alluding to the fact that the hard stuff isn't working out in the gym. The hard stuff isn't getting reps up through your shot. The hard stuff is engaging with your weaknesses, looking them straight in the face and saying, I can grow through this. That's the hard stuff. And Kobe was famous for that in his career, his work ethic, going back over the film. And then he said, and we're going to, next time you're in the academy, here's what we're going to do. We're going to watch that game together, which I'm sure she was thrilled about. Yeah, let's sit down with an NBA great and go through all of my mistakes on the basketball court. <laughs> but I guarantee you that set something in her for the future of her career. Are we willing to engage with the realities of the soul? Let me give you a picture. When I was, uh, I, I just want to forward this by saying, th this came to me actually when I was a bachelor, so I don't want you to think this is how I still live, right? Because bachelors live in a different space than, than the rest of us. But anyway, I, I want to give you a picture just for a moment. When, when I first started, I guess, forming a framework for this in my own heart and soul as a follower of Jesus, for whatever reason, I started thinking about a fridge. Maybe I was hungry. I used to think about it as the spirit fridge or the soul fridge. And I want to show you something really quick. Dean, can we try this apple thing again? Ooh. Okay, first, first service I dropped it. So I had a lot of nerves there. And, uh, so, but we, we did better. That was a perfect throw. I take full responsibility for dropping it. As you said, I pulled the recording up. I looked over. Where was my hand? Was I looking at the apple or was I looking at everyone else? Got to keep your eye on the ball or apple, unless you're Sophia Kinnan. Have you seen her serve? She doesn't look at the ball. Have you guys been watching the tennis? She just ditches it up. And that's like... Hey, you, it would freak you out. Be, Dean's, Dean's a tennis coach, among other things. Uh, but but here's, here's the thing. One, one day, let's imagine, I want an apple. I like apples. So I go to the fridge. I open the fridge. I reach down to the fruit compartment. Anyone else's fruit compartment at the very bottom of the fridge? So you really have to work to get that fruit. So I, get, I take out my apple. As I open the fridge door, I notice a particular scent. Anyone been here before? Now... It's not a bad smell per se, but it's a smell that shouldn't really be there. It's not terrible, but I'm like, oh, that's an interesting smell. Oh, well, close the fridge door, go away and eat my apple. The next day, I want an apple again. I reach down all the way down to the bottom of the fridge, open the fridge door. Ooh, now that scent that was a little bit off, it, now I can safely say there's a bad smell. There's a bad smell in the fridge, but... I'm not here to change the world. I just want to get my apple and go on with my day. And I close the fridge door. 
But of course, the next day, I want another apple. And maybe in a a deep part of my mind, I know that I'm going to have a certain experience when I open the fridge. And I open the fridge, and today, the scent now assails the nostrils. I repel from it. It's almost like the aroma has a physical presence in the kitchen. But still I know, if I shut the door, I can stop thinking about it. And I walk away with my apple. But now on day three, I take the apple up to my face. And I can smell whatever's gone wrong in the fridge on my fruit. Now I've got an option at this point. I can say, okay, there's a bad smell on this fruit. I can wash it off in the sink. (laughs) So I go to the sink. I wash off my apple. I take a big bite. No problem at all. My apple's great. I can continue on. While ignoring the condition of the fridge that produced the fruit. Now, sometimes this is how we operate coming out of the soul. We identify fruit, as as Pastor Dean shared earlier, that come out of us that maybe isn't the fruits of the Spirit, but is something else, and it's colored in a certain way that's not good. And so we can either choose to address the symptom or the condition of the soul that produced it. Let's think about it this way for a moment. Like many of us had and, and do get to experience, we get to experience friendship groups and community. Now, maybe if you're honest... Every now and again, you're the kind of person that speaks badly about people that you love. I've done this before in my own life. They're, sometimes we call it gossip. Speaking badly about one another. Now, we can sometimes come to a moment of clarity, maybe halfway through a conversation. We're like, oh man, I just said like three negative things about my friend Dave. I don't actually ever do this, I just... <laughs> You were being the most supportive, so I've targeted you. <laughs> I said, said a bunch of negative things about Dave. I'm like, why did I do that? Now, now my friends, Elliot and Dean, think, think Dave's worse or bad in all these ways. Why, why did I do that? And then I can say, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm going to make sure that I don't say one negative thing about any person. And, and that's, that's a good intention. But it's kind of a a washing the smell off the apple. It's treating a symptom. But engaging with the soul takes something different. It takes sitting down and saying, where did that come from? Why did I speak about Dave in that way? What part of my heart led me to speak like that? And then as you reflect... And maybe you, you journal and you, you consider it. And then maybe you start to realize, you know, sometimes I worry that, that people don't value me. Sometimes I worry that, that maybe my friends don't think I'm as cool as the other people. And maybe I discover there's, there's some insecurity within me. And that maybe if I could work on that... I think I'd be less inclined to make others less. And then when can I build that sense of my own self-worth? Then I can provide worth to others. And that weakness can be turned into a strength, but you know what it requires me to do? It requires me to look back on the film and say, I am a gossip. Now, let's be real. 
we don't want to articulate clearly stuff about that in our own life. Here's another thought. Maybe you're a parent and you've gotten to the end of the day and you've realized, I responded in anger too much today. Any parents felt that at the end of the day? Come on, this is an honest place. I'm speaking from the heart. You can at least respond from the heart. You get to the end of the day and like, oh. You ever sat down on the couch and held your head like that? <laughs> you can see exactly what I'm doing at quarter past seven. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? But you have this sense. There's too much frustration coming out of me. And again, this is literally something I do. Okay, tomorrow, I'm not raising my voice once. Any parents said that? And with the greatest intention, it's like, no, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not raising my voice. At all tomorrow, I get that apple and I try to wash it off. That fruit coming out of me, it's not going to be like that tomorrow. And maybe it lasts for a day. But the condition of my soul that produces that fruit continues to produce that fruit. So I have to stop. Where is that anger coming from? What beneath the murky waters of my soul is producing those kind of responses more often than it should? Maybe as a parent, have I fully wrestled and given over to the reality of selflessness that it requires to be a great dad, that it requires to be a great mum? Maybe there's frustrations in my own life that I'm projecting onto my children. That's what that soul wrestle looks like. Looking at the film, I responded exactly like that. I responded in anger. That Tuesday, I was an angry dad. And then you have to lock horns with the soul and go, great, now I'm a selfish and angry dad. Which is why we don't love doing this. Because we need to articulate things about ourselves that we'd rather stay murky and hazy. But here's the thing, when we engage with them, we can know the transformation of Jesus in our lives. So my fridge, eventually I decide that, that washing the apple enough off isn't going to cut it anymore. So I get into the fridge door and I find that tuna bake in the bottom corner, <laughs> hiding behind some other meals and jars. And I recognize that it has some colors that it didn't have last month when it first went in. I recognize some textures that it didn't have last month when it first went in. And I wrap it up, corningware and all, and throw it in the neighbor's bin outside. <laughs> I, I don't do that. I, I've never done that. Some of you that stayed silent during that moment, you're like, ooh. <laughs> don't throw stuff in your neighbor's bin. If you say, I'm going to engage with that, I'm going to clean it out and bring the transformation in my soul. Now, here's where the, the journey gets more encouraging. So we know that clarity in the soul isn't just about me and me doing a good job of self-reflection, me doing a great job of keeping honest, short accounts with myself. This is new language for you. I encourage you to just lean into it. It's not just me in my soul. The soul is actually the place that God created us with to know and experience His presence in our lives. The soul is now the dwelling place of Jesus. That when Jesus went to the cross, one of the things that He did that sometimes we forget about is He transformed the human heart to the dwelling place of God. That Jesus is in my soul. So as I think about the murky waters of who I am, I can think about what it means to know God.
And I want to give you just one verse, one verse this morning from John 14, one that perhaps you've heard before, where Jesus declares about himself. This is what we need, about know, this is what we need to know about who God is. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is speaking about the gospel and who he is as the Messiah. But I love those first two words, the way and the truth. Jesus is talking about he's the revealer. He's the one that reveals who the Father is. He's the one that reveals the presence of God in our life. He's the one that reveals the condition of our soul. So that as we journey into the murky waters of the soul, Jesus is present with us. But he isn't just the revealer. He's the life. He's not just the way and the truth. He is the one that brings life to the murky waters of the soul. He is the one that brings new color. He's the one that brings it and fills it with new life and adventure and purpose and joy. He renews the murky waters through a process of revealing. Now, if you're anything like me, when you think about your framework of salvation, like, I like renewing Jesus. I like redeeming Jesus. I like the Jesus that takes my life in whatever condition it is and completely restores it, which I believe is true about the gospel. I love that aspect of who Jesus is. But I believe to truly know the life that Christ has for us, we can't skip over the revealing part. It's the way and the truth that takes us to the life. So that Jesus wants to bring some things to our attention. Not to make life hard for us or force us to wrestle with things unnecessarily, but that we can know the true joy and life that He has for us. That He reveals the condition of the soul, but He renews the condition of the soul. You know, I mentioned this idea as well of that, that clarity in the soul that comes from knowing where we're at, knowing the condition of our own soul, knowing who God is, how He lives in that space, but knowing how my story connects with His. You know, I love it that if you've placed your faith in Jesus here this morning, and I know that's not everyone, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're called to carry that same life, love, and grace of the gospel, to make the world a better place through who Jesus is. Now, I really believe that if we're going to do that, and, and if you've missed it or haven't heard, heard this before, this is, this is why we exist as a church, as a community together, because we want to bring the life and joy of God to our communities, to our families, to our workplaces. Now, we cannot take God's kingdom anywhere else until it first transforms our own soul. I, I just really believe that. that. That God's kingdom, we cannot bring it to the world before first bringing it to our own soul. And this is what it means. This is where my life connects with his life. That, that no one else will know the true beauty of the gospel until we make it real in our own lives. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've never thought about Jesus. you thought about God, but you're still building a foundation of what faith might even look like in your life. I want to invite you today, you're here at church, to place your faith in Jesus that He is the revealer, and He wants to show you who God is this morning. But He's also the renewer, the one that wants to bring new life in the deepest parts of your soul. And so this morning, that might be the step for you to say, I want to put my faith in Jesus. If that's you this morning, 
I want to invite you. There's a little card on your seat. It says next steps. You say, you know what? My next step is to put my faith in Jesus. And I'd love you to fill that out and just say, I want to talk to someone about what it means to put my faith in Jesus, to know that renewal and that truth that, that Phil was talking about. And I'd love to give you a call and talk about that. So if that's you, I'd encourage that to, for that to be your next step. And for the rest of us, and for you as well, I want to finish this morning with three ideas, three things for you to actually do this week. So we want to know clarity in our soul, want to know ourselves, want to engage with what's really going on in the murky waters, want to know God, know how our lives are connecting with His. Here's three things that I want you to do this week. The first is this, is to create a moment of reflection. Actually, it was funny, as I was looking at this, if I was preaching, this is going to be distracting, I apologize. If I was preaching to just Dean these things, these three things would be stop, collaborate, and listen. <laughs> Dean's, Dean's a big Vanilla Ice fan, the famous lyrics from one of his songs. Yeah, yeah see, that would have just, yeah, I'm ready to put my faith in you. <laughs> so we want to stop, create a moment of reflection, look inward. This means taking yourself out of a normal rhythm of life, taking a, some paper, a journal, some pen, saying, what's the condition of my soul? The next thing I want you to do is to collaborate. <laughs> Have an honest conversation. It's then take what you've discovered through that process of journaling, sit down with your friend, saying, Steve, this is something I've discovered about who I am as a dad want to name it, and I want to grow through it and have a conversation with someone. And then here's what I want you to make sure, that this isn't just a nuts and bolts process. It's all about you and your mental pathways, but that you include the presence of Jesus in these steps. That when you create that moment of reflection, say, Jesus, would you be present with me in my thought life, in my soul, as I reflect on what's beneath the murky waters. Jesus, by your presence and spirit, would you make it clear? This is a profoundly spiritual exercise to say, Jesus, take away the murkiness so I can see. And likewise, as you sit down with that friend, that person that you trust, another person of faith that believes in who Jesus is and cares about who you're becoming, not what you're doing, but who you're becoming, and pray into it. Say, God, as I sit down with Steve, would you just create a space where we could make each other sharper in our lives? Help me to name exactly what's going on, not to be fearful, but to courageously say, here's where I'm at, here's what needs to change. And when you sit down with your friend, begin in prayer. Say, God, be present in this conversation. Would you bring life to my soul, to their soul? Would you do that this week? Find clarity in your soul. Take a moment of reflection. Have a conversation with someone that you know cares about who you're becoming. Whether you place your faith in Jesus or not, this week I would love you to try this. And I'm going to as well. I've been doing it as well, but <laughs> I'd love to continue that. Now, I'm going to invite the team to come up and join us. We're going to quickly sing one last song of worship. And I want to invite all of you to stand. I'd love to pray for you as we, as we consider the space and place of our soul. <sighs> You know, if it's, if it's helpful for you as you focus on who God is, you can even 
just hold a hand out in front of you. For me, that helps me just symbolically think, yeah, God is present. He's got something to deposit into my life. God, I want to thank you that you created us with a soul, that you created us with the capacity to know you and have fullness of life that flows from the deep waters of the soul. God, I pray that even now in this this moment, the murky waters would be blown away. And Jesus, I pray that you would give each one of us courage to face whatever we find in those murky waters. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the revealer, you are the way, you are the truth. And Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the one that renews, restores, and brings new life, brings light to any places of darkness within us. Jesus, give us the courage to face those things. And God, I pray that every person here would have a powerful moment of self-reflection with your spirit this week. God, I pray that every person here that's willing to look at their soul and work on it would have a powerful conversation that would bring transformation to their entire life. God, I want to thank you that your spirit can do that as we love one another. God, be present in our lives in a unique way that when we gather together here again next Sunday, something will be changed, something will be different. And God, for anyone placing their faith in you for the first time, Jesus, I pray that you'll be present in their soul right now, that even right now in this moment, that you would reveal your presence in their heart and soul, Lord God, that you are the way, you are the truth. I pray that you would be that in this moment. God, show them the life that you have for them. And remember, if that's you this morning, take one of those cards or come straight to me after the service and say, Phil, that's me. Today's your day. Praise you, God. We're going to take a few moments to sing, to welcome God's presence, to let these things sit on the soul, to acknowledge who God is.